Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, good morning, Emmanuel Church. How are you feeling today? It is good to be with you here today. Hey, really quick, if this is your first time and someone has invited you at any one of our campuses, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, here at Greenwood or online, we want to say welcome to you. Thanks for tuning in. Remember to text the word NEW to 65248. We will send you a nice Emmanuel t-shirt with the logo on the front. Wear it with pride. Okay, so, and if you're not new here today, we want to say welcome back to everyone. You know, the other day we were, uh, I was uh, working out with a friend of mine in the gym and uh, he happened to, on the fly, invite this other fella to church. You know, we always, always trying to run a relentless pursuit, trying to invite as many people as possible to church. And, uh, and this, uh, this gentleman responded super quickly with, uh, uh, I'm not into organized religion. And it caught my attention really quick because he was so quick and he was almost like proud of it. Like, I don't do church. You know, I don't, I don't do organized religion. And it sort of made me feel like sad with a mixture of like, uh, not necessarily anger, but it kind of triggered me a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Because I'm a pastor, you know? We, it's what I do. We, we kind of have what, we don't call it organized religion, but we have a system here, and it's organized, and I'm pretty proud of, of our church. You guys proud of our church at all? We do good things, right? And, and so, you know, I was like, I got to thinking about it. I didn't say anything in the moment, but I got to thinking about it. It's like, man, five years ago, you know, this, I, I kind of lead the organized church, you know, I'm the, we have a staff and we have elders and all that stuff, but I'm, I'm the lead pastor. I went down to, to uh, Haiti five years ago with the, t- with the team that just got back uh, last night with SMI Haiti, and we were down there, and, and again, it was, it was like five years ago, and we were, uh, we were just kind of looking around at all the different ministries. There's orphanages, there's churches, we've, they've, they've built schools, feeding programs. It's phenomenal what's going on through SMI Haiti. And one of the places that we went to is this little uh, island off the, off the mainland called Laganov. And if you were here back then, about five years ago or so, I came back from that trip. Well, actually, let me go back to what I saw there. What I saw there that particular day were all these kids. And it was super, uh, just the poverty was something I've never seen before in my entire life. Like, these kids didn't have houses. They, 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 didn't, they didn't see their parents. You know, they were young. Many of them were malnourished. Their, their hair was, was different color. Their skin was, was not right. And I started asking questions like, were these kids' parents and, and how come they don't look healthy? And the answers that I got were, were devastating to me. I was told at that particular time that this group of kids, 30 or so kids, ages little, I mean, little kids all the way up to middle school kids, they were only eating like twice a week. They were literally dying of, 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 of not having enough food to eat. I was like, well, that's not going to, that's not going to happen. Do you remember what happened for those of you who are here? I came back and I said, hey, we got to feed these kids. They need a place to stay. They need a house. They need an orphanage. And we need to feed them. And within 
a couple of weeks, you guys raised over $100,000. In fact, the exact amount was $113,000. And they took that money and they went back down there and they built a building in, on that little island called the Island of Loganov. And those, we have been feeding those 30 kids for the last five years. That's, hey, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it, but that's, that's like the product of organized religion <laughs> that you don't want to be part of. You know, it's like, well, you lose, buddy, okay, because when a bunch of people get together and they say, we want to be the hands and feet of Jesus, like amazing things happen. So can I just say thank you for those of you who gave to that project years ago and continue to give? Amazing things are happening, and the team just got back. I can't wait to hear more about what happened the last week in Haiti through the, through the team. So anyway, just had to get that off my chest. That has nothing to do with our talk today. Absolutely nothing to do. Uh, but we're in a series right now called Walk by Faith. I thought it'd be good to talk about faith because last year was a tough year. This year hadn't much, been much better. Do you agree? And I thought it'd be good if we could just kind of encourage each other and build our faith. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. He said, we're to walk by faith and not by sight. Which simply means that as people of, uh, of you know, I don't know what you want to say, call us disciples, people, followers of Jesus. Like faith is supposed to be the distinguishing quality of our life. Like, like faith is supposed to be our strategy to get through life. It's supposed to be our approach to get through life. It's supposed to be the thing that, that defines us. Walk by faith. The, the translation, the word walk, actually means to live. So some translations actually say we're supposed to live by faith and not by sight. The only problem with that is that there's a lot of misunderstandings about what faith is. What is faith? Does faith mean you come to church? Does faith mean you post Bible verses on Facebook? You know, does faith mean you have a bumper sticker on the back of your car that says Jesus loves you? Like, what does faith actually mean? Does it mean that you invite your friends to church? Like, what does it look like? Does it mean you know? Here's one. A lot of people think they have faith because they know a lot about the Bible. If they've read the Bible, does that mean that you have faith? Now, I'm not saying that if you've read the Bible, if you have a lot of knowledge about the Bible, if you come to church every weekend, or if you have bumper stickers on and you post Facebook Bible verses or whatever, that you don't have faith. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that those things don't necessarily mean that you have a strong faith. We have to understand what biblical faith is. And what we've been saying in this series is that biblical faith is confidence. It's all it is. It's confidence in God. It's confidence in the unseen reality of God's kingdom on earth, God's activity on earth, God's presence here on earth. Jesus' message was simple. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come to earth. <laughs> like, trust in me. I'm here. God is here. And then what Jesus did to validate that message was he healed some blind people. He healed some sick folks. He walked on water. He turned water into wine. The purpose of the miracles of Jesus was to show people that the supernatural has entered the natural. And you need to have confidence in me, not just after you die, like, like not just believing that there's a heaven after you live this life, but heaven has come to earth now, and you need to trust in me right this minute, right now. That's why he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach, and you can live in it now. And so we've been talking about what are the implications of that kind of faith, If that's what biblical faith is. What should it do to our lives? In week number one, we said... If that's the kind of faith that you have, your problems and your troubles should not overwhelm you, right? And we got into all that in week number one. If you missed that, you can go back and catch it on YouTube. Then last week we talked about how if you have confidence in the unseen reality of God, you focus on the right things. You focus on the unseen things rather than the seen things because the unseen things last forever and seen things are only temporary. And we looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18. And that was all last week. You know, we focus on God, we focus on the eternal impact of our lives, and we focus on our own soul. Today, 
Okay, I want to talk about the third implication, okay? In your notes, you can write it like you can fill it in. This is how I wrote it. When you walk by faith and not by sight, your aim in life is to, say it with me, is to please God. It's to please God. When you walk by faith and not by sight, your whole life is oriented towards heaven. It's oriented towards God. Remember I said last week, if you were here, that God is the ultimate unseen treasure. So your whole life becomes focused on him. He is the treasure of your life. But, so you're thinking about him. Your mind is on him. You're meditating on him. But it's not just on God. It's on what God wants because God is a person. God has a will, God has desires, God has wishes. So you're not just thinking about God, you're thinking about what God desires and what God wants. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, verse 7, we walk by faith and not by sight. Verse 10, for we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body, whether they're good or evil. We talked about that in week, nine, week one. Sandwiched between those two verses, we have verse 9. Listen to what Paul says. So whether we are at home or away from the body, we make it our aim, say it with me, to what? Please God. This word aim can be translated goal or target. We make it it, the, the Greek word actually means strong ambition. We make it our strong ambition to bring a smile to God's face. In another letter, Paul wrote it like this to a group of Christians in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10. Here's what I want you to do. Carefully determine what pleases the Lord. That's pretty simple, don't you think? Like get out a piece of paper and a pen and take some notes and write down the things that make God happy. If we were to put it in a prayer that we would pray every single morning, here's what it might look like. Watch this. Father, how can I use my life to bring a smile to your face? Very simple. There it is. That is, that is the ball game, folks. That is what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. Father, what can I do today to make you happy? Done. Period. I make it the ambition or aim of my life to please you. You know what the problem is? At least this is the problem for me. And I'm a pastor. I don't want to pray that prayer all the time. I don't want to please God all the time. I don't feel like making the aim of my life to bring a smile to God's face all the time. Sometimes I do. A lot of times I do. But then there's sometimes that I want to please who? Me! I like me. I like my ideas. I like my plans. There's things that I want to do. There's things that I like to do. There's things that please me. And so the problem with this, with this whole issue is that there's this embedded selfishness in every single one of us. We're either going to make the aim of our life to please ourselves, and we talked about that year, uh, a few, in 2020 with the, with the you know, Made to Give series, right? the first mountain. That's why so many of us are on the first mountain trying to please ourselves and find personal happiness through personal achievement. And I tried to get us to move from the first mountain to the second mountain where we find deep joy by giving to others, right? And we focus our lives on, the, on God and making an impact, impact with our lives. Our problem is that selfishness is wired into us. And it's easy to just to, to, to do the things that please ourselves when it comes to relationships. <laughs> That's a big one. We want to do it our way. We don't want to do it God's way. When it comes to money, oh, that's another big one. We want to do it our way. What pleases us, not what pleases God when it comes to money. When it comes to sexuality, oh, that's a huge one today. We don't want to do sex God's way. We want to do sex my way and what pleases me. Like, let's get practical here, right? 
Like, what does it really mean to please God? It means that you look through all of the different aspects of your life and you try to do it in a way that would please God. Like marriage, and you'd say, I want to do marriage the way that pleases God. Well, I don't really want to do that. I want to do marriage the way that pleases me. <laughs> and, and then that's the struggle. That's the struggle. And because we struggle with this, we, many of us fall short in finding the life that we're supposed to live, finding this abundant life that Jesus promised us. You know, Jesus modeled it for us. He didn't have to, but he did. See, many of us think that the only reason Jesus came to this earth was to die on a cross so that we can go to heaven when we die. And that is a massive part of the gospel. I am so grateful for that. Are you? I'd rather go to the, that place than the other place. You know what I'm talking about? But that's not the only reason why Jesus came. He came to redeem us, but then he came to show us how to live and give us life, abundant life right now. And so he modeled this for us. In John chapter 5, verse 30, listen to what Jesus said. He said, by myself, I can do nothing, which is an odd statement, because it's sort of not true. <laughs> you say, oh, did Jesus lie? No, he didn't lie. He's just choosing to live this way. Jesus could do whatever he wanted to do, because he was God. He was equal with God. But in another letter, Paul said he didn't count equality with God, something to be leveraged for his own advantage. Rather, he became a servant, and he gave up his divine powers, in a sense, he says, but by myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. He wouldn't even make a judgment without hearing from his Father, his Heavenly Father. And my judgment is just. And then he tells us why. Why? Because I seek not to, say it with me, please myself. A little bit better, please myself. I seek not to please myself, but rather him who sent me. Like he said, you want to know how to live this life? Do it just like me surrender this desire to please yourself and make, make life about all your desires and centered on what you want to do and your wishes and your goals and your dreams and, and rather say, God, I'm not going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what you want me to do. It's like the one person in the universe who could have said, now I'm going to do it my way and he would have been justified, chose not to do it. He gave up his own will to do the will of the Father. In John chapter 6, verse 30, he says it again like this, for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. This word will, it's a Greek word, it's, it's, this, it's spelled philema, T-H-E-L-M-A. It simply means desires and wishes. Jesus says, the literal Greek translation would read like this, I have come down from heaven not to do the will of me, but the will of him. Who sent me? That's the way we're supposed to go through these days, these weeks, and these months, and these years that we call life. God, Father, how can I use my life today to bring a smile to your face? Now, how would we go about doing that? It's, it's an interesting question. How would you and I go about making it our aim to please God? Well, I'm a little bit simple-minded, so I, I, I kind of started thinking about the way that Jackie and I do our marriage. And in a few weeks, Jackie and I are going to be up here again together. We're going to be talking about marriage stuff, and we're going to do a series called Making It Work on Valentine's Day. It's going to be kind of fun. Would you guys like to see Jackie back up here? She does a decent job, right? She's good. Let's be honest, I can give her the microphone. She could talk the whole time and she'd steal the show, I think. But, um, but we're, we're going we're to talk about marriage and get deeper into some of the ideas I'm about to share. But... But one of the things that we've done a long time ago in order to make our marriage work, and we don't have the perfect marriage by any means, but it's, it's, a, it's a good one, it's a solid one, we both enjoy it. Um, we basically said to ourselves, you know, what do you hate 
I actually ask her that. Like, what, what do I do that drives you nuts? You know, and she's pretty, she's pretty awesome and honest and gentle and loving. And so, but, you know, she, she, she tells me. Like, one of the things she hates is uh, when, I, when, I, when I eat something and, and, I put the, and, and there's food left on the dish and I put it in the sink and I don't rinse it. And then the food gets hard and then she's got to come back behind and, like, and scrape the food off and it's just real annoying. She hates it. She hates it. So just, could you just rinse your dishes? Rinse the dishes, okay. Another thing she hates is when I take a nap, uh, and, you know, she likes to make the bed in the morning, and then if I take a nap, you know, in the middle of the day, like especially on Sunday afternoons, I love that, and then I don't make the bed back after I nap. She's like, made the bed, you slept in it, you didn't make it. She hates it, drives her nuts, gets under her, gets under her skin. And I'm like, just make the bed, idiot, just, just make the bed. Just, make, just rinse the dishes, you know, but so these are the things that I ask about. And then I try to do them. And it, and it works out pretty well. You know, so I started to do the same thing with God. God, if, if, if Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, that to walk by faith and not by sight means that we make it our ambition, our aim to please you, here's what I'm just going to ask. What, what do you hate? What do you hate? Listen, that's the first step, number one, in your notes. How do you live this life to please God? Search out for what God hates and get rid of it. Eliminate it. This isn't rocket science. This isn't deep philosophical thoughts, but man, it's powerful. You know, when you, when you start to search out what God hates, God tells us pretty clearly, like, he hasn't hidden it from us. Watch this in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 19 through, uh, 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates. No, seven he detests. It's like Solomon's like, let me think of six. And, okay, six. Whoop, I got one more. Seven. <laughs> tickles me. Anyway. And then he lists them. Watch. Haughty eyes, which basically is arrogance, looking down on others. A lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, sorry, kill the innocent. A heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, and a false witness that pours out lies, and a person who sows discord in a family. Wow. Now, I don't have time to go through all seven of these. That's not the point of the sermon, is to teach you everything God hates and everything God loves, and then, you know, do it. I'm trying to teach you a posture. This is my posture. Lord, as I search the scriptures, what do you hate? Let me just talk about two of these. Number one, pride. God hates pride. He despises it. In James chapter 4, verse 6, James says it like this. God opposes the proud, but he gives his grace. He gives his favor. He gives his mercy to the humble. You know what this word oppose means? It's an old, really old military term that has to do with a uh, an army setting itself up in battle formation to attack the enemy. That's what the word means. God sets himself up in military formation against a proud person. Whoa. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want God setting up himself against me <laughs> to fight me. How about you? I want God to be on my side. Like, hey, favor, you know, help me out. You know, dude, just bless me. Don't fight me. God says, I hate pride so much. I will set myself up. Pride comes before a fall. That's what, that's what the scriptures tell us. C.S. Lewis says it better than anybody, that, than any, anything I could write. So I'll just read, read you what he said in his book, Mere Christianity, chapter 8. He calls it the great sin. He says, according to Christian teachers and, of course, the Bible, the essential vice, the utmost evil is this thing called pride. 
Unchastity or sexual impurity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all these other things are mere flea bites in comparison. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. Did you know that the devil was the most beautiful, powerful angel at one point in heaven? And one day he decided he wanted to be God. He thought he was better to God. And God said, no, it's not going to work out that way. So I'm going to cast you down to earth and you're going to become the devil. Through pride, the devil became the devil. Pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. Why? Because when a person is proud, they're looking down on others. And C.S. Lewis would go on to explain, when you're always looking down on others, thinking that you're better, you cannot look up and notice God. Therefore, a proud person cannot know God. Wow. Complete anti-God state of mind. Through pride, the devil became the devil. God hates pride. So here's what I would say to you today. You want to walk by faith and not by sight? Get the pride out of your life. And it's in all of us. It's in me. It's in you. We have to work at this deal if we want to please God. And then number two, I just have time to talk about one other one. God hates discord. You know what discord is? It's sowing division. It's tearing people apart. It's using words to slander and divide, and that's what discord is. It's disunity. It's it's separation. The other night, I was watching a a couple of minutes. I couldn't stomach any more than a couple of minutes of, of some commentators right before the inauguration, and this one commentator was just ripping the former president to shreds. Just He did this, and he's like this, and this is his heart, and this is his motives, and can you believe in this, and blah, blah, blah. And then, he, and then he looks to the other pundit who's sitting there, these two talking heads, and he says to her, how is our new president going to bring unity to our nation? He's not going to be able to do it because of people like you who sow discord and sow discord and divide and slander and talk down and tear people apart. And I'm not even saying I agree or disagree with whatever was said. I'm talking about discord. Did you know that God says he hates divorce? It's in the Bible. Malachi chapter 2, verse 16, says it like this. For I hate divorce. Couldn't be any clearer, yes? It's like, he's like, you want to know what I hate? I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. Why? Uh, He goes on to explain. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart, he says, and do not be unfaithful to your wife. What does this statement mean? He's not saying guard your heart against sexual temptation. I think we should do that. But that's not what he's saying. He's saying guard your heart against bitterness. Guard your heart against cruelty. Guard your heart against growing cold towards your wife or your husband. Because once you grow cold and once you don't like them and once you hate them, then there's a divorce. Well, what causes the hatred and the divide? The discord. The discord. So God is saying, I hate divorce, and he does, but he's really not saying, I hate divorce. You know what he hates? He hates discord. He hates disunity. He hates when families are broken apart. He hates when churches are broken apart. He hates when nations are broken apart. Jesus said, a house divided against itself cannot stand. Have we ever been more divided as a nation before in the history of our, of our nation? Why? Because we got people every single day on social media, on on cable news, dividing, 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 sowing discord 24 hours a day. It has divided families, this whole political situation. Discord. He hates it because he loves unity and he loves harmony. Now, I could spend the rest of my time talking about what God hates, but I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, okay? We got to get a little bit positive here, okay? So let's turn the table here. Because in my marriage, I don't just focus on, you know, stopping the things that my wife hates. I actually ask her, you know, what do you like? What delights your heart? What makes you smile? 
And, you know, every time I ask that question, she pretty much says the same thing. Just kiss me more. And I'm like, awesome. And if you believe that, I'll tell you another one. Um, <laughs> no, she says, I love it when you fix stuff. <laughs> Did you know that there's not a tool in my house that belongs to me? Like, she owns every tool. Last year, you know what she asked for for Christmas? A table saw. A table saw. I had to get a friend to come to Home Depot for, to, to, to show me what a table saw looked like. I try, but that's what makes her happy when I fix stuff around the house. And I'm not very good at it. So we got, we got our struggles. Remember, I said it wasn't a perfect marriage. We, we got to go to God and we got to search out, number two, we got to search out what pleases him and brings a smile to his face. Like, what makes you happy? And then implement that immediately. You want to walk by faith and not by sight. Say, God, what do you like? And you know what? He's not shy about telling us what he likes. Number one, I'll just work through a few of these. God loves humility. Like humility makes God smile. He loves it when somebody takes the path of humility. He hates pride, but he shows his favor to the humble. Years ago, I was studying this whole idea of humility, and I came across a passage in Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah said this in Isaiah 57, verse 15. He says this about God. The high and lofty one lives in eternity, who lives in eternity. The holy one says this. I, I live in the high and holy place. Watch this. With those whose spirits are contrite or broken and humble. It's like, who does God want to live with? Who does God want to be around? Who are God's best friends? Those who are contrite and humble. I restore the crush of spirit, the humble, and, uh, uh, and, I'm sorry, the humble and revive the courage of those whose, whose hearts are repentant. It's like, that's the answer. Where's God's, how do I get to God? Humility. Who does God want to dwell with? Those who are humble, those who are broken, those who are repentant. Those who are saying, God, you're right, I'm wrong. All the time. And so I'm like, oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. And I still have pride in my life and I still am trying to get rid of it. But to the best of my ability, I'm trying every day to humble myself. Jesus said those who humble themselves will be exalted. Humility. What else does God love? He loves obedience. Obedience brings a smile to his face. You want to please him? Just do what he says. This is not rocket science. Jesus made it super clear. John chapter 14, verse 21, he said these words. Those who accept my commands and, say it with me, obey them, like actually do what I say, are the ones who love me. And now watch what he says next. And because they love me, my father will love them, and I will love them, and I will do this incredible thing for you. I will reveal myself to you. Done. It's like, look, the reason I read the Bible is to learn. The reason I read the Bible is to have success in life. The reason I read the Bible is to understand how things work. I just understood how things work. I just shared with you how things work. How do you please God? Do what he says. Before you even open the book, before you even find a command, say to your heavenly father, yes. The I'm not even going to think about it. You want me to give money? Yes. You want me to stay sexually pure until marriage? Yes. I'm not even going to argue with you because you're God. You take that approach. You watch and see what happens to your relationship with God. He's like, we got one. Like the father says to the son and the spirit, we got one who's going to obey us. Let's reveal our whole plan to him or to her. I love what the psalmist said in Psalm 119, verse 56. This is how I spend my life, obeying your laws. Can you imagine if this was your life verse? No takers? Does that sound discouraging? No, this is, this is 
worth a million, 10 million, 100 million dollars right here. That you can't even put a price on this. Because God says, for those who obey me, I'll reveal myself to them. Just do what I say. It brings a smile to his face. It pleases him. Make it your ambition to obey God's laws. I'm doing my best here. What else does God love? Well, God loves love. <laughs> he does. He really does. Love brings a smile to his face. He is love. God is love. It's his character. When you love others, you're acting just like God. We get confused about love. We th- just like we get confused about faith. Many of us think that love is a feeling, so we're like, well, I don't love you anymore, so I want a divorce. Wrong. A hundred times wrong. Love is not a feeling. Love is a choice. Love is a commitment, which is why we do this thing called vows on the wedding day. I commit to you in sickness and in health, for riches and the poor, when your breath stinks or if you, lose, if you gain a hundred pounds, like I'm in. I'm in this deal. It's a commitment. Why? Because your feelings come and go. Love isn't, love isn't a feeling, love is a choice. The choice to do what? To do what is best for another person. Which is why Paul said in Romans 13, 10, love does no harm to his neighbor. Why? How can you say that? Well, when you love somebody, you always do what's right for them. Which means you don't cheat on them, you don't steal their money, you don't abuse them, you don't punch them, you don't hit them, you don't talk down about them, you don't slander them, you don't verbally abuse them, you're not passive aggressive. Like, love does no harm to his neighbor because love always does what's best for his or her neighbor. And by the way, when you do that, you fulfill all of the law. Now, Paul was an expert in the Jewish law. He was at the top of the Jewish, he was, he was a, a, he calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was, he was a Jewish, almost like a Jewish scholar in a sort. There were 613 Jewish laws in the Old Testament. And Paul has the audacity to say, if you do this one, you'll fulfill all 613 laws. Whoa. No wonder God is happy when we love Now, I can make a list of 25 things that makes God happy, but really, most of the things that I would put on that list are manifestations of love. I could talk about how God loves a generous heart when you give. Well, that's really, you know, a a byproduct of love. I could talk about how God loves when you forgive somebody. Well, forgiveness is a manifestation of love. I could talk about how God loves it when you serve someone in the community and help somebody who's down, maybe pay their rent. Well, that's a manifestation of love. See, that's why love is the fulfillment of all the laws. Because when you love, you give and you serve and you help and you do and you forgive. Is this making sense or am I preaching to the air? (laughs) Humility, humility, obedience, love. Let me talk about this last one, honesty. It's one that you might not think I would bring up, but God loves it. He loves an honest heart. He can't stand it when we lie, but he loves it when we tell the truth. When King David got caught sleeping with Bathsheba, and then he tried to cover it up by having Bathsheba's husband murdered, and he was going to continue on with this charade of lies and deception and manipulation until God finally sent another person to speak the truth. His name was Nathan. He said, you are the man. You're caught. God sees it. Well, then after that, David repented, and he wrote a psalm about it. Psalm 51, verse 6, listen to what he says. Behold, you delight in truth and the inward being. What a statement. God, you want me to stop lying to myself. You want me to stop lying to others. See, David was the king, and he was used to having people die under his watch. Why would it be significant for just one more man to die under his watch? A man named Uriah. Lots of men die under my watch. I've slept with lots of women in my life. 
what's one more woman named Bathsheba? I've got hundreds of women in my harem. Lies, deception, justification. God says, stop it. Tell the truth in your inward being. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying to others about what's going on. You want to please God with your life? Tell the truth. Tell the truth about yourself, where, thing, where you actually are. Be honest about what's going on in your life and the things that are happening. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 22 puts it like this. The Lord detests lying lips. That's strong language. We lie so easily these days. Dallas Willard likes to tell a story about a little girl who was questioned in Sunday school. The question was, what is a lie? She said, it's an abomination to God and a very present help in time of trouble. We lie. We lie so easily. We justify it. The Lord hates it when we lie, but his delight is in those who tell the truth. Why does God hate lying so much? Maybe it has something to do with the fact that in the Garden of Eden, this, this, this creature who slithers in like a snake named Lucifer, who through, through pride became the devil, slithers in and, and says these words to Eve. God didn't, God didn't really mean it when he said, you'll die if you eat that fruit. You're not going to die. He just knows that when you eat the fruit, you'll be like him, knowing good from evil. And Eve believed a lie, and she ate the fruit. Maybe God hates lying because the whole world that we live in has been plunged into sin and death because of a lie. Maybe God hates lying because the devil is the father of lies, and it's in his nature to lie. Maybe God hates lying because when we lie, we are acting just like Satan. Just a thought. But he loves it. He loves it when we just tell the truth. So what have I said today? Well, I've said a lot. I've tried to say it quickly because we had a lot of content today. But to walk by faith and not by sight means that we make it our ambition, our aim, our goal to please God. How do we do that? We simply ask the question, God, what is it that you hate and what is it that you love? We get rid of the things that you hate, whether that's pride or, or discord or whatever that is, lying, and, and, and we start to implement the things that you love, humility and obedience and love and honesty. This is not rocket science. My wife and I do this with our marriage and we are making it work. You can make your relationship with God work just by simply asking the question, God, what do you hate and what do you love? So let me ask you this question as we wrap up today. What is the aim of your life? You wake up every day. I wake up every day. We're going to aim at something. We're going to be ambitious about something. What is it? Are you ambitious for your own plans and your own dreams? Are you ambitious about getting your way? Are you ambitious about people thinking highly of you or getting more likes on Instagram or whatever? Oh, they, they removed the likes on Instagram. But, but what, 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 is it, what is the aim of your life? Like, what, what, what are you shooting for? If you're shooting for anything less than pleasing God, you're missing the mark. And that's what sin is. Sin is The, the term sin is actually a, a, an archery term. It's just... Missing the mark. I would challenge you today with all my heart, myself included, 
to make it your ambition. 2 Corinthians 5, 9. Make it your ambition. Make it the aim. Make it the goal of your life to please your heavenly Father. Pray this prayer. Pray this prayer. Father, how can I use my life today to bring a smile to your face? I pray that prayer. Now, I don't always get it right. There are days where I'm way off and it's clear that the aim of my life today is to please myself or to get my way. And I have those days. I'm not talking about perfection. I'm not talking about getting right every time. That's what grace is all about. I'm talking about the intention. I'm talking about the direction, not perfection. If we can get that in our minds. What's the direction of my life? I'm not concerned about perfection. I'm gonna make the direction of my life to please my heavenly Father, to walk by faith and not by sight. I promise you, if you take that perspective, you are gonna start to find that rhythm, that abundant life, that eternal life that Jesus Christ came to give you. A few moments ago, I said as we wrap up, that love is doing what's best for another person. It's not about feelings. If feelings come, that's great. They're icing on the cake. But love, biblical love, is doing what another person needs. And that's exactly the way God loved you and me. The Bible puts it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. What does that mean? It means that God gave us exactly what we needed. We needed a savior. We needed to be redeemed. We needed to be forgiven. We needed grace. We could not save ourselves. And so what does he do? He gives us Jesus, he dies on the cross. Three days later, he rises again. To do what? To redeem you, to forgive you, to give you grace, to bring you reconciliation with your heavenly Father, to bring you into life in the kingdom. That's love, folks. Have you received that love? Have you put your confidence in Christ? I'm gonna say a simple prayer. My passion and desire and hope and prayer for you is to take this step of faith and put your confidence in Jesus and trust him today. If you feel led to do that, whatever campus you're at, if you're watching online here at Greenwood, if this is your moment, close your eyes, bow your head, take these words, make them your own, put your confidence in Christ. It's a prayer he loves to answer. Just say this to him, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for giving me exactly what I needed. Grace, mercy, and forgiveness. I place my trust in you today. I believe you died on that cross for me, paid the penalty for my sin to cancel the debt I could not pay. Be my savior today. Fill my heart with your spirit. And from this day forward, Teach me how to make it the aim of my life to please you, to search out what you hate and get rid of it and to search out what you love and implement it. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? Come on, nice and loud. Woo!
God is on the move, he's working. If you just prayed that prayer, here's what we would like to do as your church, me as your pastor. We would like to put a little starter kit in your hands through the mail. If you text the word SAVED to 65248, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved from their sins. We would love to put this in your hands. Inside this box, there's a little Bible, there is a coffee cup, some instructions about baptism, that's coming up in a few weeks, and how to get connected to our church. One more time, church, can we give God a hand? Amen. Come on, nice and loud.